0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 273. It's titled, What is an ETN? Understanding Exchange Traded Notes. In a speech on September 8, 2017, Michael S. Peeblewar, Commissioner of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, stated, Exchange-traded products are among the most significant financial innovations in recent decades and have shaped financial markets as we know them today. Exchange-traded products, or ETPs, include exchange-traded funds, ETFs for short, and exchange-traded notes, or ETNs. ETFs started ramping up in the mid-1990s, while the first U.S.-based ETN was introduced in 2006. An ETF is a security that holds a basket of underlying securities, such as stocks and bonds. It's similar to an open-end mutual fund with a professional money management team that oversees a portfolio except that an ETF trades throughout the day on a stock exchange. An ETN also trades on an exchange, but it's an unsecured debt security whose performance is tied to a specific financial index. It's essentially a bond with a maturity date, usually 30 years or more, but unlike typical bonds, it pays no interest. It just tracks a particular financial index, And so the value of this note increases or falls based on the performance of the specific index. BlackRock does a quarterly review of exchange traded products. In their second quarter review, they showed that there are $5.6 trillion globally in exchange traded products. That compares to $1.1 trillion in 2009. In the US, there are $4 trillion. In U.S.-sponsored exchange-traded products, that's across 2,435 ETPs. That compares to $794 billion in 2009, where there were 925 ETP products. So ETPs, they have been growing in popularity. But it's mostly been ETFs. Of the 2,435 ETPs in the U.S., 2,314 are exchange-traded funds. 165 are exchange-traded notes. This is from the ETFdb.com database. There's only about $20 billion in assets in ETNs compared to close to $4 trillion in U.S.-based ETFs. So that raises an interesting question. Why do ETNs exist? Well, there are two primary reasons to invest in an ETN versus an ETF or an index mutual fund. First is to access products that don't lend themselves to an ETF structure, either due to tax issues, regulatory issues, or complexity issues. There's an excellent paper by David Rakowski and Sarah E. Shirley called What Drives the Market for Exchange Traded Notes. They found that 89% of ETNs track indices that are not covered by ETFs. They write The unsecured structure of ETNs allows them to track indices for which holding the underlying securities may be difficult or impossible while maintaining little to no tracking error before fees. This structure offers advantages for ETNs relative to ETFs in tracking indices based on abstract mathematical values, such as the Chicago Board Option Exchange Volatility Index, or VIX, or in implementing leverage strategies, that is, strategies that employ debt. They continue, investors, therefore, may find ETNs attractive either as a means to lower the cost of access to illiquid portfolios or as a way to obtain risk-return profiles that were not possible with existing securities. ETNs will gain traction in areas that can't be easily replicated by ETFs. And they can do so with much lower tracking error. Fidelity writes in a report on ETNs that tracking error can be a significant issue for ETFs that are unable to hold all the components of a benchmark index, either because there are too many components and or the components are illiquid. As a result, the value of the ETF and the value of the benchmark index may diverge. In contrast, the ETN issuer promises to pay the full value of the index, no matter what, minus the expense ratio, completely eliminating tracking error. Another reason to own an exchange-traded note is they're more tax-efficient. Because ETNs don't pay interest or dividends, You only pay capital gains tax when you sell the ETN or it's redeemed. You're not having to pay ordinary income tax on distributions because there are no distributions. Now, the IRS has ruled in the case of currency ETNs that that isn't the case. So there's always a risk that the tax rules in the U.S. will change. But this is effectively a way to benefit from an income-oriented strategy, but there are no distributions paid, so you're not paying ordinary income tax on that dividends and interest. What are some examples of exchange-traded notes? The largest and one of the first ETNs is the J.P. Morgan Illyrian MLP Index ETN. The ticker symbol is AMJ. This happens to be an ETN that I own. There are $2.7 billion in assets. So more than 10% of the total market value of ETNs is in this specific holding. This ETN promises to pay the return of the Illyrian MLP Index. This is an index composed of Master Limited Partnerships, or MLPs, which are energy infrastructure assets such as pipelines, storage facilities. Illyrian writes that MLPs are pass-through structures that do not pay taxes at the entity level. Instead, income and deductions are passed through to the end investor. Regulated investment companies or RICs such as closed-end funds, mutual funds, and exchange-traded funds under the Investment Company Act of 1940, and these are known as 40 Act funds, are also passed through structures, which means that they don't pay tax at the entity level, but tax is paid by the shareholders. Because the Regulators don't want a series of pass-through structures owning other pass-through structures. They limit the amount of MLPs that a mutual fund or ETF can hold as a pass-through structure to 25%. There are ETFs that own MLPs, and there are closed-end funds that own MLPs, but they're not structured as pass-through vehicles. They're a corporation which means they're paying taxes at the fund level or they're deferring taxes at the fund level. An MLP ETN, on the other hand, doesn't have to worry about that because it's just promising to pay the return of a specific benchmark. So this is an example of the complexity of taxes leading to an ETN being a beneficial vehicle to get exposure to a specific asset class. There are a bunch of other tax complexities with MLPs, including the potential for unrelated business income tax. If you own individual MLPs, you get a K-1 instead of a 1099. And so an ETN is a very efficient structure to get exposure to master limited partnerships. Another example of an ETN is the e monthly pay two times leveraged closed end fund ETN, The ticker is CEFL. This particular ETN promises to pay two times the performance of the ISE High Income Index. This index is comprised of 30 closed-end funds that are ranked by ISC on three criteria. The yield, the discount to the net asset value, and the liquidity. So it's an index of closed-end funds. Closed-end funds trade on an exchange, just like ETFs, but they're not terribly liquid. The market's very, very small. And to create an index fund that tracks the ISE high-income index would be expensive because the inability to easily trade in and out of the closed-end funds. But with this ETN, they're able to give you essentially leveraged exposure to this particular closed-end fund index. Now, I'm not saying you should invest in that, but it's an example of the niche products that exist in the ETN space that just don't lend themselves to an ETF or mutual fund structure. What then are the risks of ETNs? Well, the primary risk is counterparty risk because these are unsecured liabilities. Issued by a bank or other financial institution, what happens when that institution goes bankrupt or closes? That actually happened in 2008. When Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, it had three outstanding exchange traded notes. They stopped trading, they were delisted. And the owners of those ETNs only got 9% of the value. They lined up with other creditors with claims on Lehman Brothers' assets, and they only got about 9% of what they were owed. There's default risk, counterparty risk with ETNs. During the financial crisis, right up to it, I owned a different ETN. The ticker was BSR. It was sponsored by Bear Stearns. It was the predecessor to this JP Morgan Illyrian MLP ETN. This Bear Stearns ETN promised to pay the performance of the MLP benchmark. I sold it right before the financial crisis, but one of my colleagues continued to own it through the financial crisis. And what was fascinating is even though Bear Stearns went bankrupt, the ETN didn't fall in price. It continued to track very close to the index, even though there was this huge default risk. What happened was JP Morgan stepped in really at the last minute and purchased Bear Stearns and honored Bear Stearns' debt obligations. And so that particular ETN continues today with the ticker AMJ. But it didn't have to work out that way. So there's default risk, counterparty risk with ETNs. Even though that exists, the ETNs don't trade like there's a default risk. They should be trading at a discount to the net asset value reflecting the risk that the sponsor could go bankrupt. In a paper by Balaz Serna, Ariel Levy, and Zvi Wieners, they write, Our results indicate that a substantial credit risk discount should be priced into ETNs. In sharp contrast, however, based on real market ETN quotes, we found no evidence for credit risk pricing by market players. Bloomberg estimates the default risk of a number of investment banks. UBS, they believe the potential default or bankruptcy of UBS in the next year is 0.3%. Barclays, which sponsors the iPath ETNs, Bloomberg estimates their default risk is 0.37% over the next 12 months. Credit Suisse, 0.4% over the next 12 months and 1.5% over the next five years. Now, these aren't huge risks, but they're substantial enough that the ETNs should be selling at a discount to the net asset value. But by and large, they don't. Often they trade at a premium. Let me pause here and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. Comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. A R C H M O N E Y dot com slash David for your extended 30 day free trial. Another risk for ETNs is issuance and closure risk. Maybe the sponsor doesn't go bankrupt, but they could close an ETN. In 2018, iPath closed 50 ETNs, UBS, five ETNs, and the Velocity shares closed three ETNs. Now, closing is one thing, but another thing is the ETN sponsor could stop issuing new shares. And to see why this is important, you need to understand the difference between ETFs and ETN issuance. ETF shares are issued and redeemed on demand as authorized participants, essentially other financial institutions and large institutional players exchange securities that comprise what's known as the reference basket so they can exchange these securities for new shares of the ETF. Or they can take the ETF shares that they buy in the market and exchange them for the reference basket. This constant exchanging and redemption and creation of new ETF shares keeps the market price of the ETF in line with, With the underlying value or net asset value of the ETF shares. That's built into the structure of ETFs. With ETNs, the sponsor decides whether they want to issue new ETNs or not. And if the sponsor decides, for whatever reason, they don't want to go through the cost of issuing the ETNs, if there's still demand for the security, it can push the market price to where it sells at a premium. In fact, the Barclays IPATH S&P GSCI Crude Oil Total Return Index ETN, its original ticker was OIL, O-I-L. In January 2016, its price skyrocketed to a 49% premium over its net asset value because Barclays didn't want to issue more ETN shares. They eventually delisted the ETN, and came out with a new Series B that now has the ticker oil. But this is one of the challenges with ETNs, is they can sell at a premium if the sponsor is not issuing enough new shares of the ETN to meet demand from those that want to invest in it. Now, when an ETN is selling at a premium, it is possible to profit from that. An investor could sell short the ETN, which means they borrow the ETN shares, sell them in the marketplace, and then if and when the sponsor issues new ETN shares at net asset value, that could push down the price, reduce the premium, so the ETN is now selling close to its NAV, the investor could then buy back the shares and return them to the the entity that they were borrowed from. Usually it's just done through your brokerage, but they could benefit from the fall in price of the ETN. But clearly with ETNs, there is issuance and closure risk, as well as pricing risk with regards to the price differing from the net asset value. Within the ETF space, that price and NAV are kept close together by the activity of authorized participants. With ETNs, it's much more up to the actions of the ETN sponsors, whether they want to go through the cost of issuing new shares. Let me make a clarification here. I've used the term net asset value with ETNs, but ETNs don't really have a net asset value. They have what's known as a indicative note value. The value of the ETN, if it was perfectly tracking its underlying index, And that asset value is what ETFs and mutual funds have because it's the value of the underlying securities less any liabilities divided by the shares outstanding. So, no NAV for ETNs. They have indicative note values. A couple other risks with ETNs one is illiquidity risk. 122 of the 165 ETNs listed on ETFDB.com have assets. Less than $50 million. That means when you're buying or selling the ETN with your broker, the spread between what you buy and sell an ETN can be very, very large. I saw one news story where it got up to a 39% spread. And if investors are trying to get out of the ETN, it can very much push the price down, even to where it could be selling. At a, a significant discount relative to the value of the index that the ETN is based on. And so there's potential illiquidities since many of these ETNs are small and there isn't a high volume of trading. Another challenge with ETNs is the fees are generally higher than ETFs. These, these are niche products, often competing perhaps with actively managed products. And so you don't see the super low fees that you see with ETFs. Up until this month, the cheapest ETN was the e UBS Bloomberg CMI Gold Total Return ETN, ticker is UBG. It had an expense ratio of 0.3%. But this month, Barclays issued two ETNs with no expense ratio. The iShares Gold ETN, ticker is GBUG, and the IPATH silver ETN, ticker is SBUG. I spent some time going through the prospectus of the IPATH gold ETN, mainly to figure out why did they issue it? What were they trying to accomplish? This particular ETN tracks the Barclays gold three-month index total return. Here's what the prospectus says. The ETN offers exposure to futures contracts and not direct exposure to gold or at spot prices. These future contracts will not track the performance of gold. So it's not even going to track it exactly. They continue. In addition, the nature of the futures market for gold has historically resulted in a cost to maintain a rolling position in future contracts underlying the index. As a result, the level of the index which tracks a rolling position in specified futures contracts, may experience significant declines as a result of those costs, known as roll costs, especially over a longer period. The way the future markets work is you don't make money if the particular commodity goes up in price. You only make money if it goes up in price more than what the future contract is priced at. And what they're saying is typically the future contract is priced higher than the spot price. And then when the contract matures, the holder of the futures contract usually loses money and then buys another higher price contract. Why does this product exist? Eric Balchunas, he's an analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, says, I don't think these are likely to move the needle all that much. For the most part, when people invest in gold and silver, they like to have it physically backed. Either you own the gold directly or you can own, well, iShares says a trust that actually owns gold that's stored in a vault. So maybe this ETN is more of a trading vehicle if you have a short-term view on gold, but its structure suggests it will lose money over time. But still. They're not going to charge any fee for you to lose money over time. The prospectus also list out some of the other risks that we've talked about in this episode. They write, we have the right but not the obligation to issue additional ETNs once the initial distribution is complete. We also reserve the right to cease or suspend sales of the ETN from inventory held at any time after the inception date. Any limitation or suspension on the issuance or sale of the ETNs may materially and adversely affect the price and liquidity of the ETNs in the secondary market. Alternatively, the decrease in supply may cause an imbalance in the market supply and demand, which may cause the ETNs to trade at a premium over their indicative value. Any premium may be reduced or eliminated at any time. Paying a premium purchase price over the indicated value of the ETNs could lead to significant losses in the event you sell your ETNs at a time when such premium is no longer present in the marketplace, or if we redeem the ETNs at our discretion. It's right there in the prospectus. The liquidity risk, the pricing risk, the closure risk, the issuance risk, lots of risks with ETNs. But there's also the benefits. There's the tax benefit in terms of you're not getting ongoing distributions that are required to pay taxes. So taxes are deferred at a capital gains rate. And you potentially could get exposure to areas of the market that just don't readily work with an ETFs. Master Limited Partnerships is the prime example of that, but there's potentially other areas. But this is a niche product. You probably, I only have two ETNs in my portfolio, both which track MLPs. I don't tend to use a lot of leverage in my investing, but it certainly is a fascinating area. And now you know what an ETN is, and now you understand how ETNs work. That's episode 273. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide, and I'll email the links to that week's episode. The articles I reference shows up in your mailbox every Wednesday right after the episode is released, along with an essay I do on money, investing, and the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week just to your inbox. You can sign up for that at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is Simply General Education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.